number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where interesting, intriguing, and exciting people engage in unscripted exchanges of ideas, stories, and perspectives. It's not an interview. It's a powerful conversation. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show. I'm glad you can make it out today to listen to me speaking to amazing individuals who are way cooler than I am, who will shed light on to the decisions that they've made in life that have led them down interesting paths and what they've learned along the way. And it's all about the idea of really just kind of looking at life from a lens that says, hey, you know, what's my relationship with any particular category of your life. And maybe in the process, you find yourself listening to these conversations, and who knows, maybe it makes you boycott what you thought and causes you to want to reinvent a relationship that you have with life so that you can help yourself become happier and lead yourself to a level of success that makes sense for you. And to help me do that today, I have a super cool lady who I have just recently worked with on one of my top 10 events, and uh, we're becoming fast friends whether she likes it or not, (laughs) because I just think she's so fantastic. Uh, Her name is Kelly Lee Evans. She is an internationally acclaimed and Juno award-winning singer-songwriter. She's been making waves around the world with her uh, energy-charged performances for quite some time, uh, with six albums to her name and a grueling touring schedule that she's been doing here and there and everywhere. Uh, She has been no stranger to the hard work involved in making a successful career. On top of that, she's a mom of three, and she's always looking to get herself involved with all kinds of new things, and uh, she's... Now, as I just heard before this podcast started, she's already beginning to speak in schools as well, which I'm going to ask her about as we get into this podcast. So, Kelly Lee, welcome to the show. Hello. How Hello. are you doing? Okay. <laughs> Thanks sound- so much for that big welcome. You like that? I'm going to like just, actually, I'm just going to like cut and paste that and use that before every, uh, every event. <laughs> you can. It's all yours. I, I, I've, been, I've been rehearsing your bio for weeks. <laughs> just just for this call. So uh so so yeah like before I get right into uh, some of the questions I wanted to ask you um talk about this you you said before the uh, before we got onto the recording here that you're speaking in schools. What's uh what's what's that all about? What are you speaking to these young leaders of tomorrow about? Well, I'm talking to them about their superpowers, you know, and just how they are each superheroes. And um, it's funny because I was selected to be um, on a poster that they put together for Black History Month a couple, I guess, about a, yeah, maybe two years ago, the Elementary Teachers Federation, who I spoke for, I did a keynote for them years, like they were my first keynote, maybe eight years ago, you cool. know, a long time ago. And they came back to me and they were like, would you be willing to be on a poster? And it's celebrating, um, it's called 365 Days of Canadian Black History or something like that. I can't remember what the actual poster is called. Mm-hmm. But so I'm on these, this poster and it's February is Black History Month. And so I started to contact schools and say, you know, I'd love to come and speak to them about, about my story. And I got, you know, quite a few people saying, yes, come. And so, you know, it was fun. It was just, uh, it really changed, well, it Help me boycott what I thought about teaching. Okay, well, how so? Well, I, I think I was, I had no idea that I actually wanted to teach when I left school. I forgot how much I enjoyed school. And okay. I did homeschool my kids as well. But the whole idea of kind of going and being a teacher on a daily basis in like with 30 kids or like 100 kids, or like 200 kids. <laughs> the yeah. whole idea of being in front of a large group of kids to me was like, ah. <laughs> and I can still remember like how, okay, I'd done a few talks to kids as well over the past few years. And I don't know what it was, but this time going to even younger grades, I felt even more nervous. And I got out there and I had to totally talk myself down. You know, it's just like, it's going to be fine. And then they came and I saw their faces and I was like, oh, oh, this, I understand this. <laughs> See, it's so funny to hear you say this, right? Because I'm sure yeah. anyone listening thinking, hold on, this is a Juno Award winning singer. This is somebody who's got up on stages all around uh, the world or North America or wherever you've been and has had to do that thing that probably scares the crap out of most of us, which is to sing. Yeah. Um, now, in your Did case, you yeah, what is, what is it that like you're so worried about? <laughs> Kids are scarier. How so? Like, well, it's just that there's that unknown element. You know mm. what I mean? Like, and the, it, it showed up, you know, like the questions and the, 
the I'm trying to remember some of the the, the neat commentary and oh this was really good so okay. I went so I I had this section where I was asking them um I was asking them like what superpower they would want to have the most mm-hmm. and oh no okay yeah I did that that went really well the one that I asked them for was what made them feel good like the things that they did that made them feel good okay and I think I asked your group about that as well you know and right. We're going to make a list of those things and keep them, you know, close to our hearts. So I went to go and talk to this one kid and, you know, some people said, oh, I like to pet my dog. I like to go for a walk with my mom. I like to listen to music, video games, whatever. So I get to this one kid and his teacher said, is it appropriate? And he was like, no. And he (laughs) put his hand down. Oh, really? So she, she knows this kid. She's like, before you even speak, uh, let's yeah, just, let me just, you know, vet this. And he said, no. He goes, uh, no. And then he put his hand down. No and way. Just like, that was, I just love that he said, oh, right. Yeah, no. Let me just, let me yeah. just hold on. I would have been that kid. I guarantee you. I would have been like, oh yeah, here we go. This is something I can get a laugh from the rest exactly. of my student body from. How old and was this kid? He, they, I think he was about maybe nine or 10. Oh, wow. You know, and he, he just, the look on his face, he, you know, he was like, oh, right. No, it's not. Let me just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His, his, his answer is like, I, I, I like punching my brother in the face. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah. It could have been. And the thing is, like, that I think that's what it is. And that's, like, what you deal with anytime you kind of go out uh, to speak or to perform or, like, to present in public. Like, somebody could heckle you, say, like, something could happen at any moment in time. So I think a lot of the fear that we have you know, about public speaking and, and performing has to do with that unknown factor. Yeah. You know, and you know, so you know what I was sorry to interject, but okay. I, I, I find what is interesting is that a lot of people, they'll look at people like you and I who do it regularly, whether it's singing or speaking or performing on some level. And they think that you get to a point where it goes away. Like, nope. yeah, like, <laughs> like somehow that when you're, you're, oh yeah, I've been, I've done a hundred shows. Oh, it's just, all I have to do is hit my 100th show. Now I don't get nervous anymore, which is bullshit. Right. No, exactly. What I find, what I find is interesting because I remember reading this book um, by Susan Jeffers, uh, "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway." I remember reading that a long while ago, and what she said was that it's it's kind of like you might get used to it, but it's whenever you introduce a new factor. So, if it, say for instance, like I might be used to performing uh, a certain set, but mm-hmm. then I'm going to do a new song. So all of a sudden, now the nerves are up again. Or I might be used to performing in a certain venue, but now I've got a new piano player that's with me, right. you know, or now I'm in a new country or I've got a, like, I have a new language that I'm like using in the, in this show. So right. it might be, yeah, this is the same thing that I've done all the time. We know our stuff. It's the same band. Everything's great, but this is a French audience and I need to like, so it's, as soon as you introduce that new element, all of a sudden the fear comes back. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and of course at the same time too, it's usually, uh, or almost all, always those gigs when you find yourself driving home or on the plane where you feel most excited because right. it was the scariest situation and you, and you pulled it off. I always remember reading about Jim Carrey talking about how he said that he didn't feel like he could legitimately call himself um, a really gifted comedian until he uh, did what all other gifted comedians have managed to do in the past, and that is to walk on stage without material. Oh, I, I know, right? Yeah. And I just think to myself, if comedy is not already scary enough to walk on stage with zero material and yeah. just say, okay, you're going to have 15 minutes and you're just going to, you know, do what you got to do. And, and he did it. And, um, and he, and he bombed the first time. And, uh, but then he, there's a, there's a, a story about what happened. He was bombing so bad, actually, that he, he told the audience that he wished he could be a cockroach. And he then, of course, Jim Carrey style pretended he was a cockroach. And started trying to get in between the cracks of the floorboards on the stage <laughs> to try to to try to get away from his situation. And when that didn't work, he crawled across the stage like a cockroach and then walked up the upright piano and then opened the lid of the upright piano and then went into it head first where his legs were then dangling outside and then just didn't come back out. And then eventually the um the MC comes out and goes, Okay, I guess we're gonna keep moving on. <laughs> And then he then invited out the next comedian. The next comedian comes out and does his stand-up. And about halfway... And Jim Carrey just didn't move. And then about halfway during the next comedian's set, Jim Carrey slowly slinked out of the piano, 
and slinked across stage, still as the cockroach, off stage to leave. And that's when he got a standing ovation. Classic. Right? Like, that's amazing. Like, that's just like that. I would have loved to have seen that. I know, right? I know. But it's, 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 and I always feel, um, I don't know, I, bad, I guess, on some level, when people don't get the thrill of throwing themselves out there in some way. And of course, it does not have to be on stage. It can be just like leaving your job and starting a business or mm-hmm. moving to a new country or walking up to somebody you find attractive in a bar and introducing yourself. Like whatever it happens to be, like just throwing yourself out there and that thrill of the moment is just yeah. what life's all about. And so so when you when you get up and you speak to audiences, I, I know that you've got like a, a, an uncommon, let's call it that story. Um, let me give you like, take take a minute or two and tell my audience what it is that I already know about your crazy story, about like some of the, the wild things that happened to you over a very short period of time and 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 uh we'll 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 get into some questions about that yeah well you know it's funny because it's like i I don't even know fully where to start but Mm. um you talked about kind of giving it up and trying something new and for me it was going into uh music because i was uh i had gone to school i i loved like what i was doing i really enjoyed you know, being under undergraduate, I was kind of taking my undergrad in legal studies and, and in poli, with a minor in poli sci, but mm-hmm. really like my dream all the time was I wanted to be a singer. And my mom had like this desire for me to be, have a stable job, which now as a grown up, I understand. Right. Yeah. You get <laughs> it. At the time it was like, what? Yeah. You know, and I really, like I tried to like toe that line and I went to school and, you know, got as much education as I could, but all the time I was just dreaming about, about school, like about leaving school and actually doing this thing. And when she passed away in 2000, sorry, 1990, 90, oh gosh, I think 98, 90, yeah, 98 or 99. Okay. Um, I kind of felt like, wow, maybe I could try this, but I still was really into the, into like making her happy. And everybody was like, oh my God, you cannot possibly leave school. You've got to make your mom happy right. and get this degree. So I, you know, I had a baby, I was still trying to finish my master's up in in legal philosophy and I lost my voice Okay. and really realized like, whoa, like this was, like, this was really important to me. You know what I mean? Like when you actually can't use the thing that you love, you know, you can't speak, you can't sing, you're real, it gains like a huge level of importance. And so what, you just got sick one day and you got laryngitis or something? I had vocal nodules, which is basically for misuse of your voice. So I was using I was using my voice in the wrong space in my the wrong place in my body and just it kind of grows like a callus on your vocal nodules nodule your vocal cords and right. it's called nodule. Okay, I've so, heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like if you ever loved Julie Andrews before and like you, she doesn't sing anymore because she had her vocal nodules removed okay. and it damaged her voice. Oh, because yeah, you hear about sometimes these. Uh, I know like a lot of musical theater performers I've worked with. Yeah. They're they're afraid to do the surgery the sur- just in case. because yeah. that could happen. Yeah. It could happen. So that happened to her and I chose to not speak for, uh, it was supposed to be for a year and I got through a few months and realized like this is not going to work for Hold me. on. You were supposed to not speak for one yeah. year? Yeah. I think oh my God. Nine months. Okay. Nine months. Go yeah. on. Nine, I didn't even know that part of your story. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, so I stopped speaking for nine months and then went to another doctor and they were like, you know, you need to tra- just change the way that you do speak because if you start speaking again with the old way, you're just going to get vocal modules again. And so I did that kind of like reformed that part of my, of my, um, my, my instrument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was, uh, such a long story. Sorry. <laughs> well, hold on. I got to jump in here a couple of seconds. Yeah. So first of all, number one, just out of curiosity, if you're walking through life and you can't speak, people are always coming up to you and they're saying, excuse me, can you, you know for directions on the street or something? Uh, what do you do? Did you walk around like a, with a card that says I'm not, yeah, I'm not allowed would, to talk? I would write it down. I would I would mime. But I have to tell you something. It's really interesting to go from being a person who is like tends to like dominate conversation, dom, dominate conversations like for better or for worse mm-hmm. to like being a person who's not allowed to speak and who's doing it for. So I was raising a child. So, you know, that makes it difficult. Because How you old wanna, was your child? But a little bit of a little bit, like within one and one and a half. Okay. You know? Yeah. So those are important times. Oh my God. Time. Yeah. Cause that's how they learn how to speak themselves. It, they hear exactly. you speak. But she didn't have a trouble at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's fine now. Yeah. yeah. Talks too much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, 
but also just like having to I became kind of this fly on the wall you know like what generally happened we'd like say if you were at a party and people came in and people would like shake your hand and be like oh hi so and such and such (laughs) and then you'd be like oh you'd show them your little card you say like I'm not speaking right and they'd be like oh okay no problem and then people kind of make an effort initially to engage with you and then all of a sudden you become wallpaper because they realize like you can't answer any of their questions exactly and you could I could write it down but I think it's just like we're used to to like speaking like and carrying out conversations I think it really makes it 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 makes for an interesting study in how we treat people you know like people who might be like shy or or not um not as verbal as others or like or deaf or you know like do we how we engage people who don't don't have a typical way of communicating, you know? Yeah. I remember going through that with two women who had moved in above a theater I had and they were both hearing impaired. So they, they, they spoke in sign language. Yeah. And I saw them and I'm like, hi, how you doing? Welcome to the building. And I don't even know. And they quickly, um, their father was helping move them. And he's like, Oh, listen, my daughter and her friend, they actually, they, they can't talk. Um, so they can't hear. Um, so I said, Oh, Okay, and then I just happened to have a pen and paper on me, like in my bag, and I pulled it out, and like, so let's start talking this way. So we started writing to each other right there in the moment, and I invited them to come see that musical that night, which many people would think that's crazy. They can't hear the musical. And I thought, well, they'll see the musical. They'll just see us, you know, yeah. do our thing. And, and to see how much they had appreciated somebody actually just making the effort was so interesting, and, and because for, for more often than not, we just ignore people like that. This is it. So, you know, I think also I find it interesting to let's like take it away from just like talking to about people with like hearing difficulties or like just who are shy. But when I was when I was like dealing with language, you know, like learning a different language, that's a huge way in which I felt really disconnected. But I actually loved it going to France and not speaking French was almost like I could take a break, like a, a break with my mind. Cause like initially people would make an effort to speak in English and then I would, then they would go back to French and I could just kind of like, just veg out. Oh, <laughs> like wow. it, it was like, all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is nice and quiet. And I don't have to like, even though people are talking and there's sounds all around, like it felt very quiet because I didn't have to engage in all of the conversations around me. And then I learned to speak French and then I couldn't, I didn't have that place anymore to like, to kind of like, just escape. Yeah, my... you, you could. Well, yeah, you couldn't cheat anymore. You couldn't. I couldn't uh, see. You didn't have an excuse. You had to talk. Okay, hold on. Though. Backtrack. So, okay, so yeah. you, you you went through that crazy period, which is part of the story I didn't even know. Yeah. Um, and then what happened after that? Well, so then I, I then I went through this other period. So I got my voice back, and then I, you know, I was starting to sing a little bit more. But then I, uh, well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I started to to play tennis. Okay. Because <laughs> that was just like my brain, right? Right. So I, because I dropped out of school and I was like, oh, I can do whatever I want now. Like mm-hmm. I realized like, whoa, wait a second. I should do what I want because my mom had passed away and like life is so short and right. I'm try to, I'm going to like just make a list of all these things that I want to try. So like tennis was on my list. Okay. So I start going to play tennis and I'm taking lessons and I'm really enjoying it. And then I have an ankle rollover. Oh. So I hear the pop. I go to the merge. I've got like now I've got a one year old and a little, actually she's a bit more than one now. And, but I had no idea that I was allergic to aspirin and that's what they prescribed me. So I ended up back in the hospital that night with anaphylactic shock, like totally passed out. They had to like give me adrenaline. I woke up in the hospital and (laughs) and it turned out like, you know, I kind of, like my life was saved, right? Yeah. All right. So So now so now okay, so now you've you you're on whatever crutches or a cast or something. Exactly. And, and you you've just got through almost dying from taking aspirin when you're allergic to it. Exactly. And uh you what you're what, what are you thinking what next? Let's get back to tennis? So yeah, exactly. So I go back to I go back home and I'm on the couch and I'm looking through these books and they're all like, "Oh, how to play tennis." Cuz when I 
get interested in something, I just like, I go and I get as many books as I can about it. And I'm doing all this research and just like totally deep dive. Right. And my, my husband at the time, he was like, what are you doing? Like, he's like, that ball could have hit you in the throat. So basically I had a pile of books on tennis and books on songwriting, but I was not looking at the songwriting books. <laughs> and, oh, right, right, right. And he was like, that ball could have hit you in the throat. I thought you wanted to be a singer. You never said you wanted to play tennis. And I, he was like, why don't you write a song? And I was like, fine then. <laughs> and so I wrote, I started writing all this music and all of that music became the, like the music on my first CD, which ended up being nominated for a Juno. Isn't that something? And when you're and, writing that music, were was it was it just really good material because you were you had no choice you were kind of laid up on the couch with it in in crutches or like what what made that album like what what made you come up with such good stuff I don't even know like I was just pouring my heart out it was like okay. it was this it was this um it was this vehicle that I never even knew existed because I was sure that if you were gonna learn how to if you were gonna be a songwriter you would probably knew how to do it before. Right. You know, and I remember being in high school and like all these other kids were taking music and I was like, gee, I really love music, but I would never waste a credit on it. You know, like that was my... Isn't that, that funny? My you mind. have this... And, and for those who are listening right now, I mean, uh, Kelly has like an, an unbelievable voice. I mean, there's a reason why she won a Juno and not just for her songwriting, but she's a hell of a singer. So it's interesting to hear her say this, that, you know, someone like that would see that as a wasted credit when you when you have that talent. Well, and then I was an, like, I could draw and I, and I could paint. Well, I didn't know how to paint at that time, but I was drawing and I was like, I'm not going to waste a credit on art either. So I would go in at lunchtime to, um, for in high school to, to work with the art teacher, but I would never waste a credit on it. That was just how I was raised. You know, like you need to be. Oh, like, oh I see what you're saying. So you'd only take credits then that something you don't know how to do. Well, no, like, no, no, it was, uh, it was all about like, if you're going to go to school, you need to find a job like that. And so you need to take like maths and sciences right. and like, don't take arts, you know? So that's nice that you're good at that stuff. Move on. I see. Yeah. <laughs> that no, was I, the mentality. Yeah. I grew up in the same kind of world where I was always very comfortable being on stage and performing and, and I was pushed into getting a degree in business and economics. Yeah. 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 Like something that's going to make you some money. Yeah. Okay. So, but hold on though. So you, you wrote yeah. the album. Did you then think, okay, I'm going to, well, obviously you clearly got a band behind it and you got it out there and you went and won a Juno. Well, uh, for that one, I was nominated and okay. then I was, then I, so like I've, I'm on six, six CDs now. And mm -hmm. so like, but the thing is like, I really didn't even know what to do next, but I kind of had this mentality where I would, I was, I believed in kind of reverse engineering. Uh -huh. So like I said, okay, well I want a CD. So like, what do you need to have to have it? Like I want a CD in stores, right? Right. So like, what do you need to have to, to have a CD in stores? And I would just keep going backwards and saying, okay, well then I would need to have this X, Y, and Z. And then uh, in order to have X, Y, and Z, I need to have X, Y, and Z. Like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you kind of figure out like baby steps piece by piece. Exactly. And that was just the way that my mentality was at that time. And so, you know, I put to, I had found a friend of mine who I said, you know, listen, I wrote these songs, but like, I didn't know how to play like instruments. So I kind of figured out the chords by myself and then gave them to him to play. And I'm like, can you just play this so I can hear what it sounds like outside of my head? Mm -hmm. And he did. And then, like, everything in my life is very serendipity. So, yeah. <laughs> serendipitous. Right. And I I um, had been going to the jazz festival here in Ottawa, and I met this musician in uh, at a jam session who played for, for a bunch of great musicians in New York. And I contacted him, sent him that music that was just guitar and voice, and he was like, this is great stuff. Hmm. And he, he said, why don't you come up here and we can record it? And at the time, all the money that I had was, like, uh, um, a line of credit. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, put every, I put everything on the line of credit Good and for you. made that. And that's kind of like how things started. And at the time that music was just like my originals. Plus they said, Oh, why don't you do some standards, which is like covers of songs that other people had written. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to put them on my album, but I had them recorded and good thing because couple months later, I found out about this competition in Washington called the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz um, competition. And it's like this big thing in the jazz world where they do an instrument every year. Uh -huh. And 
voice kind of comes around once every four years. And it just happened to, to come around that year. And it was kind of like my last chance to get in before I, I aged out. Mm-hmm. And I ended up winning second place in that. No way. What yeah. song did you do? Um, oh, gosh, I did Imagine. I did a couple of my own tunes. Mm. Um, it was really an amazing opportunity. I got to sing at the Kennedy Center. Wow. And, yeah, and the Smithsonian. And it just it's what kind of led to things getting to where they are because people started to listen. And before that... Not so much. <laughs> okay, so then let's now that's that, let's fast forward a little bit though. Okay, so now okay. you're now you're getting a name out there, and now you're getting yeah. some albums. You're getting some attention from the Junos. Um, then what's what, what? How much longer is it until you get your next? Uh, we'll call it the quote unquote ankle roll of, in life. Oh my god! Well, it's funny because like the next ankle roll was kind of like it was like not getting my record deal, you know, like I, after that competition, like you have all this information, all this interest from different labels. And it, I had a bunch, I had a bunch, I had a bunch, I had a manager, it seemed like it was going. And then all of a sudden, like, they just no, we don't want you. Why? You know, that's it. Like they just, they had, they didn't want to invest, you know, like the, the label that I was hoping would sign me, didn't sign me the one that had been interested in me, decided no longer, like they couldn't do it anymore. Mm. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like, wow, what am I going to do? And I kind of had to go and say, like, I have to figure out how to make this all on my own. But that, the time period between like being rejected and actually going to make it on my own was probably like four months of being like, wow, like all these things I had been dreaming about and seemed like they were coming true. Um, are not working out. And, how, you and know? how did you get, I mean, obviously you feel bad, but did you go into a state of depression? Like yeah, you... not like full on, but just really feeling low. Because at the time, I don't even think I knew that's what depression was. Okay. So yeah, did, so you basically start having those thoughts that we all hear about, which is, I'm probably not good enough. I'm yeah. never going to make it. Never going to make it. No one's going to want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, because that's the stuff that like the other manager was saying, you know, that the deal didn't work out. And now like, I, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like what, what should I do? Okay. So how did you, and, after four months, decide that you're still going to believe in yourself? Well, because I realized like this was, I just kind of felt like I was meant to do this. Mm-hmm. You know? And I kept thinking about like how I felt when I sang, how people felt when I sang the reaction that they had, the, the, just like thinking like, okay, I think my place in the world is, is here, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that, and that I meant to do this, that, 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 that was basically it, you know? And so just anything to make sure that the sound, the message that all of that got out. Okay. And, so yeah. you, so that, that was enough then you just, you, you just trusting that, okay. I've been feeling like crap for the last four months, but got to keep moving, got to keep hustling because I'm meant to do this. And got to invest in myself. Okay. And so that's what I did. I ended up becoming like an indie artist and getting out there and selling, you know, lots of CDs for an indie, but I can't even remember the numbers, but like just like getting out there and being able to pay my bills. So you do a show, you would do a show and just sell CDs at the end of it? Sell CDs, um, you know, get as many interviews as I could. CBC radio was so helpful for me here in Canada. It's like, um, kind of like NPR. Right. And for any of your listeners out there who are like, what? Yes. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> CBC. Yeah. Uh, CBC, if you're a musician in Canada, like they are probably the reason why anybody knows about you. Right. You know? Um, and those, all of those support systems, like those are things that I had to learn how to develop over the years. And I think that's like the biggest thing that I've gotten out of like this this you know my maturation over the life is like the people that you probably were working with early on you know and interacting with back then when you first started are probably going to be around yeah (laughs) it's such a small industry it's such a small world yeah that um those relationships that you develop like some of the people that I had because like even though I wasn't interested in taking music as a course in high school or university, I still kept around those circles and I still kind of like used the facilities and was, you know, still was in choir and things like that. Mm. And I got to know a lot of people in, at my, at my school and those people I still know today, you know, and there's still the people in the music industry now. And when I, I remember when I won the Juno in 20, I guess it was 10, 2011 for CD I did called Nina so many people uh, in that room were happy because they could remember me coming to them at, in like in 
early 2004 or whatever saying like, Hey, like knocking on doors and, and really hustling. Yeah. It was, that's why it's so important to, you know, to constantly keep in contact with people and to develop good relationships and to maintain them, you know, as best you can. Yeah. Oh, no question. So, so let's, let's move forward now. So then, okay. So then you're, you're now moving along. Your, your things are happening. You've, you've won a Juno. When, what's, what, what next big kind of change happens in your life? Well, I ended up signing with Universal Music in France um, to make an album that was like a tribute to the music of hip hop and soul. Okay. And that had me going back and forth from France to Canada uh, over like a two year period. I was there every month, some days for like a week or two. Um, um, Who's taking the kids when you're there? Exactly. (laughs) Are you taking them? No, well, okay. sometimes they came with me, but mostly they would be home here with their dad, or then later on with family and friends. Mm-hmm. So, like it was, um, it was like again this mentality that I had, which was like this is like what I'm meant to do. Like right. I felt like I was doing like like you know if you're religious, I was doing God's work. You know, like I sure. was out there and I was just kind of like working to. I felt like I was bringing light to the world. That was my my goal. Okay, you know, so you have to do this. Just, that's how it felt. That's how it felt. So then, did you finish the album then, like with Universal? Then, yeah, finished that album, and I, you know, it started to take me all over, all over the world to different places. And then in 2013, uh, in June of that year, I was uh, in my kitchen at home in uh, in Canada, so just outside Ottawa. We lived in the country. And it was like a big house in the countryside, big with a big steel roof. And during a big thunderstorm, uh, the lightning hit the house, and I was touching metal in the house, and I was electrocuted or hit by lightning. <laughs> so <laughs> you got hit by lightning through the house, through that because you were touching. What was it like the uh, the spout, the sink? Yeah, the sink. this the sink, the edge of the sink. And then you get knocked like literally over right don't you or well no you know i it just like the light the current went through me Mm -hmm. and then i just dropped my sponge because i was wiping water into the sink Mm -hmm. and then the moment that the lightning hit the the roof of the house my hand hit the edge of the sink and then went through my body i dropped the sponge and then i walked right to the bedroom and i remember lying in bed and my family like they were kind of all around me. I can just kind of like see the ring of faces around me. Uh-huh. They're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm just going to close my eyes. And I went to sleep. Right. Yeah. And so, and so they knew that something had just clearly happened. But for well, you, yeah. you're just like, oh, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm just going to lay yeah. down and, and then shake this off. Well, cause they say I shouted and then they heard, and they heard the lightning hit the house and our radio went out. So everybody knew like what had happened. Right. But we just didn't know what the effect was going to be. And then when you woke up, what happened? Well, it was just like my heart was just racing. Like I couldn't calm it down. Mm-hmm. And I, but I kept thinking it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Like I was just not somebody that went to the hospital. Cause like when I, when my mom was passing away from cancer in 90, I can't remember 98 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I just spent so much time there. I didn't want anything to do with going back. Right. So, so I kind we went out to dinner and I remember like my friends were like, what happened to you? And like half my face was kind of like to like dipping, Frozen, you know, yeah and, yeah. yeah. and I was like slurring my speech and they were like, you have to go to the hospital. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I finally went the next day and they like looked for, you know, exit wounds for like the, the charge and, and just like kind of telling them some of my symptoms but at the time still like they they stood they hadn't fully started and I was just dragging my left leg my left arm was hard to use it was like very much like stroke stroke symptoms right and um and then it just started to get worse and worse over every day progressively worse and for how long until like, uh, you, you were at the pinnacle yeah well I would say like it was probably another week of just getting worse and okay. then and then I was meant to go to France and I like was hobbling in the airport and the airport people were like, why don't we give you a wheelchair? Okay. I was trying to use a cane mm-hmm. um, to drag my leg and I'm like, no, I don't need a wheelchair. I was so stubborn, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. I don't want any help, you know? Right. And when I, by the time I got to the gate, like I had to like drag my leg all the way down, like the end of the 
airport like hallway you right. know like and by the time I got to the last um like gate there was a chair waiting for me and they were like we're just gonna take you outside to the airplane with this and I'm like I don't need it and they're like you know what it's just gonna give you it's gonna give you like some rest right. you know and then that's good this is them convincing me and I was like oh, okay so I sit down and they took and I was like oh my god why hadn't I had this before <laughs> this is you nice. know mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this is because like when my wife was taxing my brain trying to walk, I could actually think, I could actually speak, and right. and then so that was it. Like I stayed in I stayed in a chair for the next I think it was four or five months. Oh and really? I, yeah. So and I so said, you just so did you go to France that night? Yeah, I still went. And, and then you got you decided like what there or when you got back? They, you, they had hired. They had got a chair for me by the time I got there. Oh boy, were you going there to perform? Yeah. So you performed on stage in a wheelchair. I toured all throughout I didn't want them to see me in a chair so what we would do is like I would have the chair to get me to the stage and then they would be a seat and so I would try to hobble out to the seat like a stool or something like that yeah to the stool yeah oh my god and you performed like that for how many shows well from May till October like about September October oh my goodness and so you then you so then you're yeah so you're in a wheelchair because I oh. couldn't cancel. Like, I had gigs opening for John Legend, for, like, all these different people. And it was just, like, and we were the only, I was a sole income earner at the time. So oh, it was just, man. like, there was no way. People were, like, you need to stay home. Doctors were, like, this is crazy. And I'm, like, I can't, I, I don't have a pension. I don't have, like, anything. You yeah. know what I mean? I like, always I find have... it, well, people who always get so um, frustrated about performers and some, not the really big ones, not, not the Justin Timberlakes, but, like, yeah. you know, people like you and me, where people say, well, I can't believe how much they charge. And they don't realize that if, when, when you're not working, there's no income. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like when you yeah. do, when you do work, you do have to, you know, pay to play because as I would yeah. to, as I told you before we got onto this uh, podcast today, just uh, about three weeks ago, I was on my hands and knees in a washroom puking my guts out because I'd caught some bug from my daughter and I was on stage in half an hour. Yeah. And, and I told the, uh, the, the people who were, had hired me, I said, if you wouldn't mind, could you put a, a, a plastic bag behind the podium just in case it's going to happen on stage? It was like that was that was a real that was a very much a reality. That was a, a real possibility that that could happen. And most people, when they're you know violently puking, they'll call their boss and say, listen, I'm not coming in today. It's just like a different world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And I guess people would be like, well, you know, it's what you chose. And yeah, you're right. It is what we chose. Yeah. But at the same point, it's like, it's kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so when you came back after that tour, were you then thinking, okay, I got to take a break or were you still in that place where you had other gigs that you needed to do back in Canada? Yeah. And there were, there was no idea of a break. So I just kind of kept going through it and I started getting, I started getting like more stable. Mm -hmm. And so that went through to uh, 2014, 2015. Um, I was like making another album and I'm thinking, okay, I'm starting to feel a lot stronger. I'm not a hundred percent, but it's like the, the symptoms are like, are lessening. Mm-hmm. You know, I obviously don't need my chair anymore. Like it's just getting better. Right. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> then what? I, I came back from a tour, uh, to France where I had brought my kids with me this time. And then I was just I came back with like basically no money right mm-hmm. like I used all the money to like travel with everybody right. so to have everybody on the road I didn't have anybody to take care of them here at home so I had to bring everybody on tour with me through the summer and then come fast forward to like when we got back it was like we didn't have any money and that was stressful and then this idea of like okay well I still got to keep going the album is like I had made a new album with um also with Universal France but this time it had been funded by my manager a new manager Mm -hmm. and a new booking like scheme new booking agent like I was going to be performing on television they were trying to make it now into this big more of a pop career like kind of crossing over into the pop world maybe not with that album but with the next one but kind of like making the steps like finally I was feeling like wow I'm getting this like I'm going to be able to quote-unquote bring this light to like a larger group of people that Mm -hmm. was this idea and went to take a bath and I stood up in the bathtub when I was finished and I passed out and hit my head. <laughs> oh, God. I think it was like a week before I had to go back to France. Oh my God. But this time there was no going back. Like I couldn't, before I could kind of like with the 
the first brain injury because like the way that they describe the lightning strike is your brain gets jostled in your head when you take the charge. Mm-hmm. And so they called, they consider that to be like a brain injury. Okay. But at this kind, this time it was like, it was definitely a concussion and I could not function. I could not stand up after like a week or so. It was just like, I was nauseous all the time, Ugh. vertigo, very dizzy. Um, and I, I was basically out for two years. <laughs> Oh, so because of that fall, yeah, you just for two full years you just weren't able to what to to perform work. to write to work to make yeah to work. Oh you know? crap! So what do, what what does a person do in a situation like that? Does the government help you survive? No, they don't. They certainly don't. And but what did happen for me was like you know years and years of of just like having fan support just to buy tickets. Like these folks supported me and they raised like $40,000 so that I could live. Your fans? Yep. So a friend of mine named Amanda Martinez, who's a a Latin music artist here in Canada, she put together a GoFundMe. And just all those people raised that much money. And that took us through a year, Uh because it's me and three kids, with like also a lot of medical and like treatments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're trying to like live with three kids plus have treatments to get better. Right. And, um, And then... I uh, ended up getting a, a a really cool job with the university once I started to feel like I could leave the house. Okay. Um, it was just 10 months of working as an artist in res. So it was doing exactly what we talked about at the beginning, going to these groups of students and talking to them and trying to inspire them and talk to them about how they could better perform, how they could get rid of their fear, their stage fright, um, how they could just like be like larger versions of themselves. So it's funny, like this whole speaking thing, it's, it, it started off like, you know, ages ago. Um, but yeah, I was hired as artist in res and then that money that I made there helped to take me through another year. Okay. <laughs> and, and then just when I started to feel a lot stronger, um, the Junos came to town, uh, which is like the Junos are like the Grammys. Right. I'm saying this all for your American people. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it is important because we do have Americans to listen to these things too. Yeah, so the uh, it's like the Grammys, and we have the Juno Awards, and they came to Ottawa, and I had um, worked with them in the past, and I we do this thing called the Juno Cup, which is that like you go and you raise money by playing hockey against hockey players. So the musicians play against hockey players. Okay. And I'm not obviously a hockey player, nor am I going to go back out on the ice. But one thing that I can still do is sing. Right. <laughs> so, so they, I went to sing the anthem, and okay. it was really scary because it was the first time going back to perform, and it was a cappella while I had a cold in front of like I don't know, eighteen hundred people. Wow. Or I think actually more. I might be get telling the wrong amount, but like a stadium full of people. I was gonna say it's probably that the stadium could be ten thousand people. I don't think it was that many because it's a smaller stadium, okay. but it was a lot of people. Right. <laughs> and I, if I think back, like it was just like that feeling oh like my stomach I my mind like just all the stories is telling myself like oh my god like this is horrible and I, I have this cold and it's gonna be horrible and whatever and then like you know how they usually bring a carpet out onto the ice for people to sing or you know do presentations before the game yeah so like I'm sitting there kind of shivering the people are all like around me and I'm just like scared out of my mind and I remember like going out onto the carpet and like walking through and then I look up and I'm like oh this I know how to do this oh right on it was just that moment of like oh right this is what we do you know like two years later this all this this is actually what I know how to do right and this and then opening up my mouth and being able to sing and being like oh yeah it felt good again (laughs) felt good again and then it led to other bookings and people coming to like um that the, the captain of our team is uh, Jim Cuddy of Blue Rodeo, right? A right. uh, big group here, and you know he asked me to Kelly Lee, would you want to come and sing with me um, at like this jam session we're doing tonight, which is like a big thing in front of all the uh, the record labels and stuff. And, okay. And uh, so I came out and I sang um, "Try with Him." And oh no, kidding! Yeah. Great song. So, Great song, um, but it's so funny because initially I didn't want to do it because I was like, I don't know that song, and then I went home and I'm like, oh yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more than I thought. 
more than I thought. So I went and I did it with him. And then at that night, like there were um, some people that wanted me to come perform. So it just kind of started to like rebuild my career back again. And then I, that's how I am here where I, uh, you see me today. Just from like, taking that one risk to go and sing that song. Yeah, and a lot of people would have said, yeah, you know what? Like I've got a cold Not ready. or yeah, I've, sure. I've yep. been, I've been laid up for two years there's a million reasons why you could have yeah. you know, gracefully and, and respectfully not done it. And people, no one would have blamed you for it, but look at, look at what ends up happening because you did. I've, I've always, I've always been so intrigued by that idea where um, some call it just, just saying yes. And people have different ways of saying it, but I've always been so intrigued by just movement in general. Mm-hmm. And I was actually doing a, um, a podcast recently with uh, um, Ali Hassan, who is the host of Laugh Out Loud on CBC Radio. Yeah, I was trying to think why I knew his name. Yeah, yeah and he's such a great guy. And, and him and I both agreed that over the years, we have been so amazed at how much, in our case, we call it the universe. The universe just starts responding to us when we make some sort of movement. And, and what, oh, we, what yeah, we, I agree. You know, I agree. And, and, and what we found was, what was interesting is that the universe will respond in many cases not to what not to the thing that we were trying to do. So we might be saying, okay, well, his his focus might be around trying to get more comedy gigs, and mine might be, I don't know, maybe booking some more corporate clients for some corporate speeches, and mm. we would be doing the work that it would take. So we would maybe be posting on Facebook more often. We would be writing blogs. We would be making phone calls, doing the kind of work you need to do to get attention, and. The thing that we were trying to make happen didn't necessarily happen, but all of a sudden he would get a phone call, someone saying, hey, you know what? Someone told me you'd be great for a film we're shooting in Los Angeles, and would you like to come out here and audition for it? Or for me, someone would say, hey, you know what? Like, we got this really neat MC thing that we need somebody for, for, I don't know, television. And it wasn't the thing that we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was, but it would be the thing that would come our way. And so... You you weren't. It's not like you were going out with the intention of um, anything major happening. You were going out thinking, okay, you know, I got to do this. I got to sing the national anthem uh, without any major agenda. And sure enough, what ends up happening? You start um, getting offers for for things you wouldn't even expect. It. I mean, who would have guessed that night? I mean, walking in to do the national anthem that Jim Cuddy, one of Canada's biggest singers, would say, "Hey, can you come up on stage and sing Try," which is in fact one of his biggest songs. His hits, I know. Well, and not just that. So after that gig, I ended up going to, uh, like, so that was at Warner's Warner Music's party. I went to, like, uh, Universal's party. And my album hadn't actually come out in Canada. It had only come out in France. And I saw this guy that I knew at, um, at Universal, that I knew at Universal Canada since, like, back when I started, you know, somebody I had been trying to write and like, Hey, uh, can you, can you sign me? Mm-hmm. And he was like, Kelly, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm just kind of getting better. He's like, well, do you have an album? I'm like, yeah, well, actually I have this album that like didn't actually get put out here in Canada. So he was like, I'll, I'll let me listen to it. I'll put it out huh. next day. He's already in, in talks to try to put it out. That album got nominated for Juno the next day, year. No, I kid you not. No, I kid you not. Like all this stuff that just came from you going out there and singing the national anthem. Yeah. This makes me want to go out into the street right now and sing Oh Canada. Do it. See, <laughs> see what happens. So, you know, let me just ask you one last thing because I, I want to keep you on schedule here. And, and I know I've only got you for a short period of time tonight. So my last question to you is, is this, you know, after going through all these ups and downs and at the beginning of this call, uh, when before we got into the, the recording, um, you know, you were telling me that you, you don't necessarily know what your next move is. Um, do you find yourself trusting that whatever the next move will be, that you'll be okay? And even though it's, it, there's, there's, you know, we never necessarily know how the bills will be paid. We never necessarily know what's going to happen for our kids. But like when you think about the importance of just kind of following your heart, do you have to have a lot of trust in what you're doing? hundred percent, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, I find like the fear comes when you, when you don't trust, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, and the thing is like the fears you can just be so crippling, right? Like just like this, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I think to get out of that fear, you really need to, to, like I was saying to you, stop avoiding, <laughs> stop avoiding shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, but I mean that necessarily, 
the and that avoidance comes from being so fearful about what could possibly happen. But I mean, I'm getting to see like I'm I haven't even told you all of the stuff that's happened. You know, I'm just giving you like some key points. But I'm still here. You yeah. know, still here, still talking to you, still like I, I food's full fridge is full of food. Right. Um I have no idea, like, and it's funny, like, I have no idea month to month, like, exactly, like, where everything's coming, but just what you described with you and Ali, it happens to me every month. People, things just keep coming in. That's just it, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this right now, they might be thinking about some big move, whether it's leaving a job, whether it's um, leaving a partner, uh, moving out of a new, to a new city, whatever that big leap of faith might be, and the big fear is always, well, what if I do it and I put myself into a situation where I don't have food in the fridge or mm-hmm. if I can't pay my rent? And what I've always felt uh, is that on some level, you're kind of insulting yourself when you say that because what you're saying is is that you don't feel like you have the ability to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And you do. You're, not giving, yeah. you're just not giving yourself enough credit. Um, and even though you don't necessarily know what the next 10 moves will look like, make one move and just trust that you will figure out the rest of the moves along the way. Well, yeah, I remember reading something similar to that as well, which is that, you know, really just like, for instance, like if I'm going to a a destination, like the only thing that I can really concentrate right now on is like the next, like right now I'm going to be going to pick up my son. I'm just going to concentrate on getting my purse, then getting my coat, Mm -hmm. then putting on my shoes, then going to the car. Then I'm going to like go, down the street. If I get to the end of the street and actually they decided they're doing construction, I'm going to have to make a detour. But at the end of the day, I'm still working towards getting to like pick up my son. There right. might be a bunch of detours on the way of this path that I initially thought I was going to take, but I still have the destination. But I don't need to know the exact path. Like I'll just make my decisions as I get to each step. But I do need to at least put my, I need to at least. I don't know, get off the phone and get my purse. Like, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. so if I, but if I'm so worried about like, you know, the, the actual destination and I'm, that I can't even do the things on the way, then it's just, I'm just stuck in that, that avoidance, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. just, that's a scary place to be because you're just worried about stuff that may not even happen. It most likely won't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Well, with all that said, the last thing I want to do is get between you and your child. <laughs> yeah, they, they say don't get between a mother and her child, and I will not do that. So, um, Kelly Lee, thank you for taking the time to get on this call and this uh, the podcast today. This is fun. It is fun, right? I mean, when you just sit and you think about uh, life and about how uh, all the decisions that you've made have got you to where you are, and it's exciting to think about what kinds of decisions you're going to make and what's, where, where it's going to take you next. So, with that in mind, for those who are listening, if they want to follow you or get in touch with you or what are the best places? Is it a website? Is it social media? Where should, yeah, where should people go? Exactly. Well, you can find me on, um, on kellyleeevans.com, K-E-L-L-Y-L-E-E-E-V-A-N-S.com. I'm also at Kelly Lee Evans on Twitter, at Kelly Lee Evans Music on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook. Perfect. All right, guys, listen, you know what? If you haven't had a chance to listen to Kelly Lee's music, you got to do it. Uh, she's got a sultry, soulful voice. It's um, something that's going to just knock your socks off, I guarantee you. And um, Kelly Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I can't wait to have you back on in the near future. Oh, I really had a great time. Thanks so much. You know what? People don't know um, how awesome you are just like as a human. I mean, maybe oh. they do, but I think that I'd just like to call you out and <laughs> let them know. He, he's a great mentor, a great advisor, and a great human. So thanks so much for uh, being my friend, even though I'm not sure if I want you as my friend. I obviously do. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. Now I'm completely beat red in the face, and I can't, I'm glad this is a, a voice uh, show and not a, not a video show. <laughs> well, sometimes sometimes you do all the questions, right? You do all the questions, but you don't get to people don't maybe get to hear about you. Ah, well, you know what? That that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. You just made my day. Okay, well, you take care. Okay, best of luck. Thanks. Bye. See, see ya. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is. Thank you for tuning in to the Stuart Knight Show. We hope you have enjoyed this powerful conversation. People are fascinating, and so are you. And the right questions will prove it.